living well is when I have the chance to both give and receive love, care and kindness for humans, but it also counts for the world at large. Welcome to the World Worth Living In podcast, the podcast where we explore the two main purposes of education. Number one, that education can help us to live well. And number two, that it can help us to create a world worth living in for everyone. This podcast is part of a global project where researchers are listening to different groups of people, discovering how to live better and how to create a world more worth living in through education. This is a podcast produced by the Faculty of Education, Monash University in Melbourne, Australia. We wish to acknowledge the people of the Kulin Nations as the traditional custodians of the unceded lands on which we teach and learn at Monash, and we pay our deep respect to their elders past and present. We would also like to acknowledge the Wiradjuri people, one of the nations who has lived for over 60,000 years in what today is called New South Wales, where other members of our team work and live. The Wiradjuri term, Yindiamara, Wenangana, shared with permission from Wiradjuri elder, Uncle Stan Grant Sr., has been translated into English as the wisdom of respectfully knowing how to live well in a world worth living in. Welcome to episode number two of the World Worth Living In podcast. We're so glad you're here. This episode continues an introduction to the key ideas of the World Worth Living In project and to some of the key people. The project has come out of an international research network called Pedagogy, Education, and Praxis, or PEP. The five members of PEP who stepped up at the start of this project to be editors of the first World Worth Living In book and to lead the beginnings of the project are... Myself, Kristen Reimer, Mervy Kalko, Sally Windsor, Kathleen Mahone, and Stephen Chemis. Today, you'll meet Sally and Kathleen. Sally Windsor is Associate Professor in Sustainability and International Education at the Department of Pedagogical, Curricular, and Professional Studies at the University of Gothenburg in Sweden. Sally's research interests include educational inequality, sustainability education, climate change education, in-school mentoring, and the implications of globalization on school education. Kathleen Mahone is a senior lecturer in higher education at the University of Queensland in Australia and an associate professor in pedagogical work at the University of Boras in Sweden. Her research interests are higher education pedagogy, educational praxis, teacher professional learning, and outdoor education. Kathleen is co-editor of several PEP books, and a senior editor of the Journal of Praxis in Higher Education. Kathleen has a professional background as a secondary school and outdoor education teacher in Australia. In today's episode, you'll hear Sally and Kathleen tease out the concepts that make up PEP, pedagogy, education, and praxis, and position educators as change agents for the good of people and the planet. Kathleen and Sally talk about the World Worth Living In project as a listening project where we figure out together what is worthwhile for us to focus on and do so that we can actively make the world a better place. 
I am so delighted to be here with Sally Windsor and Kathleen Mahone, both joining us from Sweden today. So welcome, Sally, and welcome, Kathleen. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. We're going to start as um, I've been wanting to start all these different episodes, which is to get a little bit personal and just ask both of you for your reflections about the idea of living well. So when you are living well, and maybe Sally, we'll start with you. When you're living well, what what does that look like for you? What what brings you joy or what are the bits of life that, you know, you really love? I think living well is when I have the chance to both give and receive love and care and kindness. And in the sense that I think my life is complete and much better when when all things in my life are taken care of and that counts for for humans for my family for my friends but it also counts for the world at large so you know the environment is cared for and loved and respected in ways that it should be thanks sally love that idea about things that are taken care of both for yourself and all of those bits around you how about for you kathleen me sure i, I like what sally said for me it's in a place that I feel connected to and it's getting engaged with other people, smiling myself, being happy, but also being with others who are happy and smiling and where we can share and feel each other's energy, where everyone feels included, valuable, part of what's going on. But we, you know, we feel this sort of wonder and curiosity and excitement about being where we are and with and with whom we are that can be in a really broad sense in how I'm living my life or it can be in a moment living well and and having living a good life and living a good moment with other people that probably makes no sense whatsoever but I guess for me living well is an ideal that crosses many things and yes I agree with Sally love is very much part of that and caring also. I love how it starts as an individual question, but both of you like um, immediately go to the collective of it's when we are smiling and, and we are feeling each other's energy. That's great. So the last episode, I had the chance to speak with Mervy and with Stephen and today with the two of you and, and together sort of the five of us have been working to, I guess, sort of as the steering committee for the beginning of this project. And I talked with Stephen and Mervy about PEP, about Pedagogy, Education and Praxis, the international research network that this project really originates with. I wonder for both of you, and maybe Kathleen will start with you this time, how did you first get involved with PEP or what what drew you to PEP and, and to its ideas? My involvement with PEP started with Stephen Chemis, who I asked to be my PhD supervisor and um, as someone who was very instrumental in starting that community. It was natural that I end up <laughs> being part of it. It was such a, an important formative space for me to develop as a researcher. And I was welcomed into that community first as a, a doctoral researcher, but then I've continued to remain part of that, having made connections with the people that I was um, that I met through the first PEP doctoral school that I went to, and then working with uh, researchers in the PEP network who who have gone well beyond doctoral studies. 
What keeps you there? What keeps you as part of this network? That is so easy to answer. For me, it's the relationships, the sustaining relationships within that community and the questions that people raise both in their work and in the discussions that we have. Very interesting, challenging, provocative, exciting discussions often. And we like being with each other. We like doing work with each other. For me, it's a really important part of my academic work as part of my identity as an academic, but also as a human being. I have relationships within that community that go well beyond the research work I do. Thanks, Kathleen, for that. That was fantastic. How about for you, Sally? I um, became involved in the PEP network after my doctoral studies. And and when I moved to Sweden, actually, in 2017, I'd been researching teacher professional experience or the practicum periods. And so I'd done a lot of reading around kind of practitioner research, teacher research, action research. And I'd been in uh, contact with Karen Ronneman, who is one of the founders of the PEP Network from Sweden. So when I arrived in Sweden, I, I met Karen and she said, well, you should be in this network and please join. And I immediately felt at home. I felt that I'd found my academic tribe, people who were interested in the, the same kinds of questions about the world about education, about teaching, about action, <laughs> that I, I I really felt an affinity with and for and to. So that was my my start in, in PEP. So for both of you, I mean, connection to the ideas and, you know, what's going on in terms of the thinking and the research, but then also both of you talk about the humanity and the people, which is really important too. Now, PEP, so pedagogy, education, and praxis. Those are three really rich concepts. And I wonder if we can just tease them out a little bit. And we're going to start with the toughest (laughs) and the ending one, which is praxis. Kathleen, can you explain just a little bit about what praxis is? How do you understand it? That is a very challenging question. I spent three and a half years of my PhD trying to answer that question. And I don't know that I am any closer to having an intelligent response. But for me, it's an action in in which you are conscious that when you act, you are having an impact on the world that you're part of and acting in such a way that you are trying to do the most appropriate thing or to act in the the most appropriate ways to, to bring about positive outcomes or to, at the very least, not do harm and contribute to some of the problems that we see in our lives. So it's kind of an an action with the consequences already in mind that's informed by what we've experienced before, what we know from the practice traditions that we're part of, what we know from theoretical knowledge that we've been exposed to, and also reading and making sense of the space that we're in when we act I'm putting all those things together and deliberating about what the most appropriate thing to do is and acting accordingly. I mean, that's in a moment-by-moment um, context, but then if we think about that in a, in a lifetime, it's living our lives in a way that means we are giving something back to the others that we're with and the planet, hopefully 
for the better. That was beautifully said, Kathleen. That was really well explained. <laughs> Just a follow-up question with that, because you, you said that you did you know, spend a lot of time with your PhDs or sort of wrestling with that idea. Is that still part of your work? Is it still play a role in your own thinking and research? Absolutely. So theoretically, I'm working with the concept, trying to get a sharper sense of the boundaries around it, but probably more importantly, looking at empirically, what does this mean in different practical situations? So what does this mean in a classroom? What does this mean in a conversation? What does this mean in a relationship? But primarily in higher education, which is where I do most of my research in pedagogical context. So very much in focused on teaching and learning in higher education and what praxis means in that context, both as the education is happening, but also, for example, teacher students are preparing to be teachers of the future and what their praxis might look like in the future and so forth. Great. Thank you for that. I and mean, it's great to see how you are working with it both conceptually and then really on the ground, like just a very grounded and practical sort of sense of it as well. The other two concepts in PEP, we have pedagogy and education. And Sally, I'm going to throw over to you for that. And, you know, you can talk about living well, the world worth living in. We could talk about that from many different dimensions. But we look at that in PEP, we look at how education serves those purposes. And so I wonder if you can just reflect on why the focus on education? Why is that the important lens that we use? It's interesting to think before I even comment on education, that the, the PEP network, as I'm sure Stephen and Mervy uh, spoke about, came from um, these conversations about how language is used differently in different parts of the world to describe different concepts. And so pedagogy and education, if we think of pedagogy in a Swedish sense and education in an Anglo sense, they're synonymous in the kind of concept. So it's a really interesting question to ask, what does education have to do with this? Because we're looking at education from these two kind of language, what the concepts, how the concepts are similar in, in the different language groups. So I think it relates really the importance of education to this network and to the kinds of the kinds of research and, and projects and activities that the network is involved in. It relates to what Kathleen just mentioned about this deliberative, deliberated action for the good of humankind. And I think education is a really important and practical and large scale forum for those kinds of decisions to be made, those kinds of decisions about the types of action, the types of environments, places that we want to live and what happens, that the practices that happen in those places. Education and educationalists, teachers of all types, anybody involved in education, we really are fundamentally you know, change agents. And I think why education is so important is because fundamentally the changes need to be for the good of people and planet and, and non-human animals. But change needs to be 
sustained in a positive direction. So I really think, you know, that's the power that education has, is that we have this really far-reaching capacity to collectively think about change and think about action for the good of people and planet. Thanks, Sally. I love that idea too of everyone involved in education as a change agent and then adding in the idea of praxis and thinking about that, like you say, writ large and in that collective sense. Can Can I just add something to what Sally said and also going back to something I said before, saying that for me living well is, you know, being with others and engaging in things together and smiling and feeling included and so forth. But it's not just engaging in anything. It's actually engaging in something that's worthwhile. And I think education has a role broadly and also if we think about schooling has a role in helping us work out as human beings what it's worthwhile to do (laughs) and also what's in our interests. So, you know, all of these things fit together you know you can't have praxis without education you can't have education without praxis and you can't have living well really without knowing what we need to do in order to live a good life yeah I think that's really important because we don't know necessarily what's worthwhile to do and we don't know you know what direction to go in without having those conversations and listening to one another and deliberating on these things and that is really what this project is about. So like, as you've both just explained beautifully, like Pep has for many years been working with these ideas and the idea of education having this double purpose to help us to live well, to help us to create this world worth living in for all, and this beautiful and powerful ideas and phrases. And then in 2019, there was a few of us at a Pep meeting who were more sort of newcomers who were asking about this powerful phrase and thinking, you know, what does that mean? What do those ideas mean and look like on the ground to different people in different places, in different situations? So this project that we are talking about in this podcast really started as a listening project to think about what does it mean to engage in worthwhile action? What is living well? What is that world worth living in and to ask the people, whoever it is that we work with or that we um, engage with, you know, what does it mean to you? What do these things look like to you? What, what, What are the different nuances to them? And to listen to that and then to sort of share collectively what those things mean. And it's been so fascinating to see all of the different individuals and cohorts and groups that have some really Uh, common understandings, but then some really unique takes on it too. And I wonder for for both of you engaging with this sort of listening project, what do you see as, I guess, the significance of it? Or what do you think is interesting or exciting? It's been amazing as one of the editors to read this diverse group of people and their project and the people that they engage with, what has been really significant is seeing, as you said, these similarities, but these unique circumstances that people navigate daily to ensure that they live well, that their life is is worth living and they're living well 
in relation to others. And I think that's probably, for me, been the most significant thing reading through the chapters is that so many people, not just the the authors of the chapters, but the people that they are engaged with, are really actively working towards making the world a better place. I think these are stories that aren't told enough and used in a sense of of learning about what is possible in education and in academia. There are these things that are happening in places that you would never even imagine that we can learn from. Yeah. (laughs) Great. Thanks, Sally. How about for you, Kathleen? I found the chapters in the book very touching and inspiring, but also such a strong reminder that what is good for me is not good for everybody. What is in my interests is not in other people's interests. And just when we go about our lives, it's very easy to fall into the trap of thinking that we know the answers to everything for everybody. And how can we possibly do that? It's very difficult to know what things mean for other people. The only way that we can find out is to listen (laughs) to them. I wish we did that a whole lot more. I think this is a glimpse of what is possible when we do start to listen. For me, the world worth living in for all, it's the for all thing that's really significant here. You know, I talk about deciding what's worthwhile to do, but worthwhile for whom? For all, for whom? Like who are we talking about when we make decisions for other people or when we, you know, say that this this is how things ought to be and this is how we should do this and this is how we should do that. And we, we make those sorts of decisions all the time. But whose interests and well-being and lives are we, are we thinking about when we <laughs> say such things? I think this book is a really good reminder of just how diverse and rich and actually amazing people are and how much we need to pay attention to that diversity. Thank you for that reminder too. Just to finish, but just hear from you what your what your takeaway is. What would you say that we do need to be doing to live better in a world more worth living in for all? Kathleen, maybe you'll start with you this time. Yeah, well, obviously listening more <laughs> to other people. I'm going to go back to my role as a researcher, actually, because I didn't just learn a great deal from the stories of the participants whose narratives are represented in the chapters. I also learnt a lot from the authors and researchers that were involved in bringing the participants' stories to light. The way that they were able to honour the the participants' stories but also engage so very deeply and personally in the research that they were undertaking You know, if you're going to spend your time doing research and the contribution or a contribution that you'd like to make to the humankind is is research, then I think it's important that we engage in research that actually really means something and that we we bring something to the table when we research. And I think all of the authors of these chapters have done that. So I've learned something from them also. I agree. And that was kind of where I jumped to first as well. Of course, you know, listening to different groups of people and their stories and understanding, you know, what kinds of practices can help improve their lives or, you know, understand their lives or um, help them act to improve their lives. Of course, this is so important. And this was fundamentally such a, a big part of this 
project as a whole, but each chapter really shows this understanding of praxis on the part of the authors and the, as researchers. I learnt a lot about just the positive change that research in itself can make by being a researcher from this kind of perspective and with this in mind. I couldn't agree more, Kathleen. I think you articulated it so much better than I am doing, but I really hope to be able to engage more in, in projects like this. Projects such as these where we are, you know, looking to make positive change for people in all walks of life. Yeah, I think for me too, I mean, one of the concepts in one of the chapters was about the everyday utopias and that language of criticism and the language of hope. And I think all of the projects gave us that in terms of what the participants were talking about. You know, what can we say is not working well, but what can we move towards and how do we engage in that hope little by little every day? And I think also the researchers, like you're, you're just saying, I mean, each research practice was an act of both criticism and hope that brings us that, you know, one step forward toward that living better and toward that world more worth living in for all. Thank you for listening. We hope that what you have heard sparks thoughts, conversations, and action globally and within your local communities. We can live well and help to create a world worth living in for all. You can find us on Twitter, and LinkedIn and YouTube. Just search The World Worth Living In Project.